Hi and welcome to the St Saviour's Finsbury Park podcast. Our vision is to be a church alive in God's love to serve the city. And we hope this teaching helps you to know God and serve him more wherever you've been uniquely placed. Let's jump in. Good morning. Um, If you don't um, know me, uh, my name is Beth. Um, I've been a part of the St. Saviour's family for quite a while now. We're not in the region of grace, but um, it's been getting on for about 16 years now. Um, Yeah, whoop. Um, I've been coming along um, uh, to St. Saviour's with my wonderful husband, Dan, of worship leader and operations manager fame. Um, And more recently uh, with my two little ones, Seren and Eli. Um, I've been so privileged to see St. Saviour's go through loads of different seasons of growth and evolution and I feel really grateful to to still be here um, and to be able to be part of this current season um, in all its life and vitality and what I see is our growing capacity as a church community to really serve um, and uh, bless the community around us. And before I get going with the talk today I'm gonna pray. Um, God, we thank you for a new day. We thank you that you are here with us. And as we come to look at your word together, would you breathe new life into the words? God, would you take what I have to say and let it land in the most helpful way possible for each individual here? Would you meet with us? Would we go away from here with a brighter, deeper understanding of who you are and how you are lovingly, faithfully at work in our lives? Amen. So today I have the real pleasure of bringing you um, talk number two in the In the Beginning um, series that the wonderful Chris um, introduced um, for us last week. If you haven't listened yet, go back onto the website, listen to it. It's a really good one. Um, Throughout this series, we're going to be working through um, the book of Genesis, sorry, just the first chapter of Genesis, so Genesis 1. And Chris's talk brilliantly set out some of the key themes and the overarching ideas that we're going to be exploring. Um, Chris used a quote um, from Gordon Wenham, um, which I really loved, um, that describes the creation story as the majestic, festive overture to the Bible. I love that. Um, And I think Chris really beautifully developed that point. He said that it's the foundational melody or a motif that introduces who we are, that gives us a sense of our identity as creations and children of God. But also, it gives us a really rich insight into who God is, and it's there that I want to focus our attention today. As we begin to dive into the text, and we're just going to look at the first five verses of the chapter, I want to focus on drawing out what those verses tell us about the Creator, God. Um, And I want to propose, um, I I like a plan. Anyone else like a plan? Love a plan. Um, I want to propose um, that we navigate our way through this relatively short um, passage um, by asking three questions of um, the text, which I'm going to share with you on the screen now. So we've got three key questions. Firstly, we're going to ask, what do these verses tell us about who God is and how God works? 
as I've been reading and thinking and meditating on these um, verses over the last few weeks, I've found them to be really rich in words and images that really expand our understanding and our awareness of who God is and how God works. So that's question number one. Question number two, we're going to ask, what does that look like in practice? I don't know about you, but um, for, a, for a point to really kind of sit with me, to, for it to kind of really have an impact, I need to have some sort of kind of practical example of what that looks like. Um, abstract points for me for some reason don't do it. So um, once we've pulled out um, what the verses tell us about who God is and how God works, I'm going to offer some examples of what that might look like to see those attributes and those aspects of God's character actually in action. And then finally, um, we're going to have some time and some space to ask ourselves this question. What does that mean for me right now in my situation? How can the insights offered by these verses influence you and your walk with God today and tomorrow and through the coming weeks and months? So let's uh, make a start by actually reading the verses. It's a good place to start. Um, I'm going to read the passage out loud. Um, and I'm going to read each verse quite slowly because we've only got five to get through. So I figure we've got a little bit of time and space. I'm going to read them through quite slowly and I'm going to pause after every verse. And what I want you to encourage you to do is to use those spaces, use those pauses to really reflect on the words um, and the images that they conjure up in your mind. Um, you may even want to close your eyes um, so you can really let your imagination take hold of what I think are really beautiful images and descriptions in this text. So let's read. In the beginning... In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. So hopefully that's 
giving you a little bit of a chance to let these verses and the images that they describe start to, to live and take up residence um, in your mind. And I'm going to move on now um, to sharing my thoughts um, in response to that first um, key question that I shared with you um, earlier. And my hope is um, that what I offer will complement and continue that personal reflection um, that you've already started. Um, just before um, I do that, a quick word um, on how I've chosen to unpack um, the text. Um, Chris said last week that there are loads of different ways um, to interpret Genesis, but for him personally, he was most convinced by the interpretive lens called the literary approach, which sees the passage as a poetic origin story, and that's where I tend to land as well. Um, I should also say that I spent... Um, a significant chunk of my life as a secondary school English teacher, um, which taught me some really useful ways um, of making a literary text accessible and meaningful to a large group of diverse people, which is what I figure I have today. Um, so I will be applying um, some of what I learned from that experience um, to this talk in the hope that it's going to open up the text um, to you, whoever you are, and um, whatever um, stage you're at. So let's get going um, with looking at this text in more detail. Um, when I look at this passage, the first um, phrase um, that jumps out at me is this one. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. The scene that's being depicted here by the authors of this text is one of extreme darkness. And I obviously get that from the word darkness um, itself, but also from the word deep, which for me suggests darkness that's not just, um, not just darkness, but a darkness that gets darker and darker and darker as you descend into the depths of the deep. Add to that the implication that the writers are describing a place where light has never existed. There has never, ever been any light. The earth in its formless state has never seen or experienced light or what light is. This is the darkest situation imaginable. So just hold that thought for a moment and we're going to move on to um, a second phrase. Um, second phrase that jumps out at me is this one. The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So even in this state of extreme, unimaginable darkness, God is there. God's no less present in this moment of darkness than he is in the next verse when the lights are turned on. And that's the first kind of answer to the question that I want to draw out. God is present in the very darkest of situations. And before I move on from that phrase, I want to, I want to zoom in. This is where I get all English teacher on you. Apologies. Um, but I want to zoom in on, on a specific word, and that word is hovering. Um, for me, that word has strong connotations of expectation and readiness and anticipation for what's about to happen. For me, 
It's an image of the Spirit of God laying the groundwork, laying the foundations for the life and the abundance and the light that is to come. Um, I was so interested last week um, when Chris told us that Genesis is likely to have been written by Jewish priests and scribes in exile, so they're in captivity in Babylon. And I think that context aligns really nicely with that point. Um, These verses have been written by people who are in a situation of extreme darkness, but they have faith in a God who even in the midst of that darkness is no less present than in the light. A God that is hovering, is laying the groundwork for a time of light that they believe and trust is to come. So first answer um, that I'd like to offer to that first key question, God is present even in the very darkest of situations. Um, Next standout phrase for me is this one. Um, And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And straight off the back of this, I want to offer a second um, question, second question, second answer to the question. God is completely able to bring light into the darkest of situations. In that state of unimaginable extreme darkness, God says, let there be light, and there was light. And again, I want to zoom in on a particular word here, and that's the word let. Um, I find it so interesting that the the writer of Genesis doesn't say, um, doesn't have God saying, I command there to be light. Um, And I find it even more interesting that often um, we sort of project that sentiment onto those words. So when I think of the words, let there be light, I have a kind of image of um, a big kind of Father Christmas type character in the sky saying, let there be light. Um, But if you think of the act of letting something happen, actually it's a lot less effortful um, than that. Um, In using that word, I would suggest that the writer is um, reminding us, drawing our attention to the fact that God doesn't have to put effort into bringing light. God is all-powerful. God is sovereign over everything and completely able to say, let there be light, even in situations of unimaginable darkness. So answer number two, God is completely able to bring light into the darkest of situations. And the final phrase that I want to pick out is this really short one here. The first day. This moment, as the the title in the edition that we read suggests, is just the beginning. This is only the first day. And every day, since the world was created, the sun has risen. And we might not always see it, but every day God has said, let there be light. So the third and final answer I want to offer to that question is this. God brings light into the darkest of situations again and again and again and again. When God brings light um, into a situation, um, it can rarely be kind of, or in my experience anyway, rarely be pinned to one single moment on one single day. 
Rather, it's a perpetual process of God continually saying, let there be light. And I think it's so generous of God um, to give us such an obvious reminder of that in the fact that the sun rises every morning. Every day of your life, whatever you've experienced, whatever you've been going through, the sun has risen in the morning. And I would suggest that God says, let there be light every day in the form of the sunrise as a reminder that every day he's also able to say, let there be light in whatever emotional or spiritual or physical situation you're living through. So just to recap, what do these verses tell us about who God is and how God works? I would suggest that they show us that God is present in the darkest of situations. God is completely able to bring light into the darkest of situations. And God brings light into the darkest of situations again and again and again and again. So we're going to move on now um, to that second question. What does that actually look like in practice? Um, I'm going to attempt to answer that in the form of three stories. Um, I'm going to draw from the Bible for the first one. I'm going to draw from my own very personal experience for the second. And then I'm lastly going to draw from our experience, a kind of collective experience um, as a church. And as I relay each story, I'm going to try and tease out um, how those three attributes um, of who God is and how God works um, can be seen in action. Okay, so for story number one, um, I'm going to jump forward um, to the next book of the Bible, Exodus. So in the first chapter of Exodus, we see a description of a moment of darkness for the people of Israel. Um, They're being subjected to what is described in the Bible, not just as slavery, but cruel slavery by the Egyptians. Add to that that in an attempt to put a stop to the Israelites growing in number as a people, Pharaoh, the leader, has ordered that every baby boy that is born be immediately thrown into the River Nile to drown. The Israelites are cruelly oppressed in every way imaginable, and they're having to see their newborn baby boys murdered. I don't know about you, but for me, that describes a situation that is beyond dark. There's no freedom, there's no light. They are in a situation of unimaginable darkness. But in the midst of that darkness, a baby boy called Moses is born. Now, his mother hides him for three months so that he's not drowned. But then she decides to put him in a basket and to place him amongst the reeds in the River Nile with his big sister watching close by to see what happens to him. Now, you're probably aware of what happens, um, just in case you're not. Um, What happens is that he's found by Pharaoh's daughter, um, adopted by her, ends up living as a prince in Pharaoh's palace before he's called by God to lead the Israelites out of slavery into the desert and ultimately to the promised land. That's slightly more complex than that, but that's kind of a summary. 
Um, but let's keep focus on the three-month-year-old Moses um, for a minute. As Moses' mother makes the devastating decision to let go of her baby, as she places that basket onto the surface of the River Nile, in that moment of desperate, personal, and collective darkness, we can see that God is present. We can see that in the life of Moses, God is starting to lay the groundwork to form the foundations for the liberation, the freedom, and the light that is to come. In a really beautiful parallel, which I find kind of really satisfying, um, we see Moses, the only spark of hope in that situation of terrible darkness, literally hovering over the waters, just as we saw the Spirit of God hovering over the waters in Genesis. God bringing light into the situation of the Israelites can no way be pinned um, to one particular moment or event. It's a really long, kind of grueling, ongoing process involving burning bushes, um, a staff transformed to a serpent, a sea parted, manna from heaven, um, water from a rock, a pillar, a fire by light, and cloud by day. It's a perpetual process spanning across the course of many, many, many years of God saying, let there be light again and again and again and again. So in that first example, God was present in the darkest of situations. God was able to bring light into that situation and he did it through a gradual ongoing process of let there be light moments. Second example um, for you, and this one's from uh, my own kind of personal experience. And I deliberated quite a lot over to whether to include this one, but I, I did feel um, really kind of moved and convicted to um, provide a kind of personal, individual experience of what these ideas might look like in practice. Um, and I also need to emphasise before I share um, that I know that there might be um, people here today that are. have been through or are still kind of sitting um, in a similar or even much more complex or damaging situation than the one I'm about to describe. And I'm praying that if that's you, God really uses this story in whichever way is most helpful to you. Um, And if it's not helpful, then I'm really praying that it's just going to bounce off. Um, But please hear that um, my intention is not to harm or to offend, um, but to just open up about a way that I've experienced um, these principles personally. So just under a year ago now, um, I went through an experience that can probably be best described um, as a breakdown. Um, Despite having always prided myself as being strong and successful and sorted in all areas of my life, for some reason, and I'm still not completely sure um, why even to this day, um, on a Monday morning in September last year, I was very suddenly brought to my knees or more specifically to a fetal position in my bed, not able to even get up 
alone um, face a day of parenting or work or all the other things I had to do um, that day. Now, before that moment, I would say that being in that position was completely unimaginable um, for me. I've always been a morning person. Um, I've always been incredibly good at getting up and getting going and performing. Um, but for some reason, on that morning, I couldn't. Um, for me, personally, it was a moment of unimaginable darkness. But looking back today... Um, with the benefit of hindsight, of course. I can see that God was with me. Um, God was with me in the form of my family, hovering at my bedside that day in the form of dear, dear friends who, even though I couldn't face communicating with them at all, um, were surrounding my, me by prayer. Um, through an amazing line manager at work who absorbed all of my work responsibilities so I could take the time out that I needed. And since then, I've experienced a very slow and ongoing process of God saying, let there be light in my situation. Hearing a really beautiful piece of music, um, a comment from one of my kids that makes me belly laugh, um, a gospel choir rehearsal, always does it, um, finding a really good therapist that I really connected with quickly, a new job that stimulates me and excites me, but it's not going to burn me out. Long walks and deep talks with my sisters, tight bear hugs from people who love me most. Now, this is definitely not the end of the story. Um, this is still an ongoing process, and I still have some really dark days. But I do believe that just as the sun has risen every morning, so God has said and continues to say, let there be light in my situation. And finally, um, story number three, and this involves all of us. Um, so in January 2018, um, on a very, very cold Sunday winter, it was January, uh, <laughs> Sunday morning, um, Dan and I um, arrived here at St. Saviour's to attend the morning service. Now, we'd um, recently started um, leading the evening service that was going on at that time. But we'd come along in the morning um, to, to meet and connect um, with the morning congregation that we knew were also calling St. Saviour's home. Now, when we arrived, although the building was unlocked, um, there appeared to be no one here. And the lights were all turned off. So the space that you're sitting in right now at 10.30 on a Sunday morning was cold, it was dark, it was completely empty. And obviously we kind of called out, hello, is there anyone there? Um, and from the room that used to be here, used to be an organ here, and there used to be a room behind it called the vestry. Um, from that room emerged the beautiful Auntie Grace, this Grace here. Um, and Dan and I went back into that room with Grace. Um, and Grace led us through... Um, do you remember Grace? <laughs> Hoping so. Um, led us through a whole service that she prepared, like full liturgy, prayers, um, talk, everything. Um, and we were so encouraged and inspired by God speaking and moving through this wonderful woman. 
Now, at that point in the St. Saviour's story, this very space right here was in literal darkness. But God was so present. And there are so many ways that the Spirit of God was sort of hovering, was laying the groundwork for the light and the growth that was to come. Um, God was stirring the leadership down at KXC to explore opportunities of a partnership. God was giving a certain Matt and Anna Seymour a real passion to commit to living and serving um, this community long term. He was drawing the wonderful um, Marcus and Claire um, to come and be a part of the morning congregation and support them and help them through a time of change. Um, and in so many ways and through so many other people, I don't have time to mention. But I think one of the most tangible ways that God was working in that moment of apparent darkness was through a small group of rather incredible women um, so we had Grace, of course, Grace Duda Monica, Jackie, um, Ethelene, Jackie's mum, Christine, somewhere, um, Florence, I'm really sorry if I've forgotten, um, others. Um, so many people over the years, and not many people know this, but so many people over the years have tried to shut St. Saviour's. So many people. And actually, quite a lot of quite influential Powerful people have quite tried to shut the doors um, of St. Saviour's, but they have failed every time. Although they were few, that group of women <laughs> um, were so convicted. They held strong. They held such a strong conviction and calling to this place and a faith that there would be a time when God would say, let there be light. And since that really cold January morning, their conviction has been proven right. We've seen God say, let there be light in so many ways over the last few years. Even through a global pandemic, when again we had to turn the lights off, we've seen growth, a community develop, relationships flourish, a stunning garden unearthed out there. We've seen beautiful singing, dancing, and more and more people who live in this area blessed and fed and encouraged and brought out of loneliness through God's work through this church. I believe that St. Saviour's, this church, is a living, breathing testament of the fact that God brings light into dark situations and does so again and again and again. So that brings us to our final um, question. Uh, and I'm going to let the Spirit of God um, do the work um, for this one. Um, what does this mean for you in your situation? Um, Chris um, mentioned last week um, that we're going to include a different sort of creative response um, to each passage each week. Had that beautiful painting from Pete um, last week. Um, I've um, uh, chosen a song, of course, um, <laughs> um, inspired um, by the sort of let there be light idea um, that we've been exploring today. So as we're listening um, to this song, um, I'm just going to give you some time to reflect on um, what we've 
heard and what you've read. Um, and give God space to speak to you individually in answer to, um, to that question. What does this all mean for me in my situation? So let's listen and open our minds and our hearts to the Spirit of God. When I sail the lonely deep When the midnight watch I keep I stand amazed as stars on the billows gleam And though I know a storm is rising High above a dark horizon I know, oh Lord, I know you are here with me so let the bell light, Lord, let it shine out of your heart and here and in mine. When it rains from heaven above, let it rain, sweet heavenly love. Let the bell light, oh Lord, let the bell. There's a call on the restless tide Like a long and endless night And it breaks the bow like a raging symphony And though I may be far from shore I am anchored to heaven's door And oh Lord, I know, I know you are here with so let the bell light And Lord, let it shine Out of your heart Here and in mine Lead me out of the eye of the storm Into the promise of the crimson dawn Let the bell light Oh Lord, let the bell light I'm going to um, ask the band to come back to stage now. Um, and I'm also going to invite you um, to come forward for some prayer, um, if you feel moved to. Um, and I want to appeal to, as we often do, to three um, particular groups of people. Um, so first one is that perhaps today um, you're in a place of thanksgiving and gratitude. You're, you're looking back and you're reflecting on a series of kind of let there be light moments in your life as a whole uh, or in a particular situation. And we want to join you in that place of celebration and thanksgiving. And we want to ask that God will continue to bring light in ways that are beyond your imagination. Um, second group of people, um, maybe you're someone who has begun to see God saying, let there be light in your situation, but you're also really aware that the process of healing and restoration is going to be really long, and it's going to be a really gradual um, process. And although you're really grateful for how God has moved, that process still seems quite daunting and tiring as a prospect. 
And we want to pray um, that the beautiful fact that the sun rises um, every morning, again and again and again, would be a real source of encouragement to you in that journey that you're on. And then lastly, um, maybe you're in a place that feels incredibly, unimaginably dark. And there's no way of you understanding at all what's going on um, around you. And for you, we want to pray that you would know that God is there in that darkness. That even what you feel to be the darkest place imaginable, the Spirit of God is with, with you. You are not alone so if that um, applies to any of you um, or if you want prayer for anything else this morning um, I'm going to invite you to come uh, and stand um, in this section of the church um, here um, so that someone from um, the church family can, can stand with you and can maybe lay a hand on your shoulder and pray over um, and into your particular situation. <laughs>